Superhumanize. Accelerated evolution. Today, I have the distinct pleasure to speak to a truly beautiful soul, a beautiful person inside and out who knows what it means to ignite the light in herself while going through darkness. Sarah Ann Stewart was tossed into the realm of holistic health as a young girl when her father faced a diagnosis of terminal cancer. Her family chose to combat the disease with alternative medicine instead of conventional treatment, and less than a year later, her father was declared cancer-free. This ignited Sarah's lifelong passion and dedication to bring healing to others. Today, she's a certified holistic health practitioner and runs a leading mindfulness-based private coaching practice in Los Angeles with focus on lasting weight loss. Sarah has a unique heart-centered approach that has helped hundreds of women across the globe make sustainable lifestyle changes and heal their relationship with food and their bodies. Sarah is the founder of the Awesome Inside Out Movement, an advisor to international wellness brands, a sought-after speaker, and soon-to-be Hay House author. summer and I have passionately dedicated the last 12 years of my life to creating the ultimate human experience mentally, physically and spiritually based on the most powerful ancient teachings and cutting edge modern discoveries and technologies. The Superhumanized podcast is a show committed to sharing what I have learned from the world's leading experts in order to help you achieve your full potential and create your best life ever. Sarah, thank you so much for being with us today and taking time out of your very busy schedule. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. And there's nothing more that I love to talk about than health, well-being, mindset, all the things that we're about to dive into. So thank you again. Thank you. And I know it is what truly makes you tick in your a lot of your uh, social endeavors and also business projects. And your passion for holistic health and also your tremendous compassion for healing others. Tell us when that actually ignited in you. Tell us more about the circumstances that I already mentioned. Yeah. So I, it was interesting. So I grew up in a really holistic environment. So as you shared, when my dad was diagnosed with terminal cancer, it wasn't strange for him to tell the doctors we're going to go a different route. Even though for me, it was very strange to hear my father speak to a doctor this way. My my dad basically said, you're going to see a miracle. If you've ever seen one, you're going to see one now. And he had such conviction in his voice and so much truth that he was going to find a way to heal this cancer. And I remember in that moment being a little bit angry and thinking, well, there's these doctors that are telling you to take this other route. What are you doing walking out of their office? Um, but that conviction in my father and that truth in him had really sparked something in me where I saw what it meant to trust your intuition. And so he went home and he started meditating and really connecting to his truth. And then he started to dive into the holistic approach and mindfulness and the mind-body connection and how subconscious programming and his belief system, trauma had basically manifested the sickness. Um, He dove into the healing modalities of creating an alkaline body, um, decreasing inflammation through food. He looked at, um, I remember he had this big whiteboard where he would 
write an affirmation every day on the whiteboard and he would walk on his treadmill while he was reading the affirmation. And so a lot of the things that we talk about today in holistic health, he was actually practicing when I was very young. And what was so crazy to me was that a lot of people in our neighborhood and people in our social circles and community were also getting diagnosed with cancer, other chronic sicknesses, but yet didn't know about this healing, right? They, they, they thought it was strange that my father had chosen this route and they were very confused by it. And so for me, when he healed, it was this eye-opening experience of one, why do people not know about it? And two, why are they not accepting of it? Why, why is it so bizarre to them to think that food could be a healing modality? And so I went on a journey of starting to dive into healing through the emotion, through the mental, through the physical and through the spiritual and recognizing that there's all these different components of healing. And in the medical community, a lot of those different healing modalities are left out or different approaches. And so for me, going on this journey and seeing, oh my gosh, how much do we not know? How much are we scared to know? How much are we not talking about? Um, was a big eye-opener to me. And so I wanted to learn everything I could about holistic health. The irony was that at the same time I was scouted to model. And within several weeks of signing this contract, I developed a series of eating disorders that lasted for 10 years. And so when I was ending my modeling career and being told you're going to lose your life to this eating disorder, it was the most profound moment because I had a flashback to when my dad was curing cancer. And I kept thinking, how is this girl who was so rooted in holistic health in a hospital bed being told she's going to die? Like, how did this even happen? Like what route, what journey did I go on? Where were the missing pieces where I didn't feel self-love, self-worth, self-esteem, self-confidence, all the things that had driven this eating disorder? How have I gotten to this place? And what I came to find out through going on my own healing journey was that it wasn't about the nutrition. I could study all the nutrition in the world. It wasn't about the healing modalities and knowing about what to do or what not to do. It was taking the courage to actually do the things first and foremost and confronting my belief systems. And the second thing was that the physical body is only one piece of the puzzle. So even the do- even when the doctors were declaring I was physically better, I actually wasn't better mm-hmm. because I was a prisoner in my own mind. I still had anxiety when I got my picture taken. I still had anxiety when I walked past a mirror. I still didn't feel good in my body. And so even though I was clinically or physically better and the doctor said, okay, you get no more treatment. You don't need any more treatment. I realized the disconnect in our healthcare system where we can declare people better, but yet Mm -hmm. their minds might not be better. They might not have healed the mind component. And so for me, it was this process of diving into where is this disconnect happening in our healthcare system? Not being a therapist, what can I do to actually help women shift this belief from very present moment experience with the stories that they're holding? Um, and how do I offer that bridge, that gateway between the doctor, me, and then also the therapist of actually referring them and saying, this is actually work that you should be doing and encouraging people and helping them gain the courage mm-hmm. to go get the help that they actually need. Um, and sometimes that isn't the medical community. Sometimes that is, and only they know what what is true for them or not. But um, but I have found that my mission and my purpose is really to just educate people on self-love, self-worth, self-esteem mm-hmm. so that they gain that courage to be able to take the steps into whatever healing process that they need to take and so that they feel good in their me- mental body, emotional body, physical mm-hmm. body, spiritual mm-hmm. body, whatever their truth is for them. And so- it was it was a beautiful journey and the fact that like had I got physically better and mentally better, I don't think that I would have gone down this road of realizing 
We have to reprogram our subconscious. We have these stories and these beliefs that are stored on an emotional level in our physical bodies that we have to reprogram. Otherwise, we're just operating from our subconscious and wondering why our habits don't shift, wondering why you know, we're having the same triggers every single day. Why are you wondering why we're going to the refrigerator to, to make, you know, in the middle of the night to soothe our emotions? Like, and I laugh because this was me, you know, this is my, my experience. And now I can, I can look at it with a lot of love and compassion, but this is a very true story for most women Mm. is that we're using food to suppress versus using food to nourish and heal. Um, And so that's the distinction that I really want Mm. to make. And uh, what you touch upon now and which sounds, because of course you've come through it, and Mm -hmm. of course now it sounds much more light. It was actually a very dark time in your life and actually getting behind the root of why uh, you were having these issues, anxiety and body issues. What, how did you actually turn, flip the light switch Mm -hmm. in that darkness? Was it a long process? Mm -hmm. Is it an, an epiphany, a sudden teaching? How did that work out for you? Yeah, so I think I think that there was a time in my life where I began to accept and surrender to the fact that I would always have anxiety around my body. I mm-hmm. think that sometimes you just live with pain and when you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel, you don't have you've tried so many things and nothing has worked. You kind of come into this acceptance. And because I think I came into that acceptance and that surrender to, okay, this is my experience. How can I make the best of it? Um in that moment I attracted a very powerful coach in my life who was at a conference and I saw him and I just knew that this was a synchronistic moment where I had been in so much pain that in that moment, he gave me permission to finally confront my truth. Mm. And so for many years before that, I was always running. I would go from coach to coach. I was running from one diet to the next diet, from protocol to protocol, even certification to certification. I remember traveling across the world thinking I could outrun my mind, but then realizing that the same <laughs> habits were manifesting on the other side of the world in a very different way. <laughs> yeah. So I was sabotaged. So instead of starving myself, I was sabotaging my health with overeating and over excessive drinking and partying and all these things. And so I was realizing in both both spaces, whether it was in the modeling world or when I was backpacking, I had a story that I wasn't worthy of having a healthy body or a healthy relationship with my body or worthy of having a healthy experience with my body. And because of that story, it was just manifesting in a different way. And so when I met my coach, he he and I've worked with him many years now, he his name's Shandrash, and he said to me, are you willing to unlearn the way that you were taught to suffer? Mm. And I recognized in that moment that I had actually been taught how to suffer. Like this was an experience that I was picking up from media and social conditioning. It was a learned belief system. And only through shifting my belief system would I learn not to suffer and that it's not suffering isn't necessary and that I am worthy of having health and wellness and Mm. a beautiful life. And so through meeting him, he offered me the opportunity where he, he, I don't know if he would have been willing to work with me if I was like not ready. I think I think because I was so ready and I was like, well, if this person is committed to my path and and here to support me and is offering me this opportunity, why not try it? But it was the first time in my life that I was I was like, okay, I'm finally ready to confront the mm. part of myself that is in so much pain. And I think what I see with so many clients is that they're terrified of the meditation. They're terrified of the journaling. They're terrified of the inner work because you have to confront the darkest parts of yourself. And not only that, you have to take radical responsibility. Mm. So no longer are you going to 
like if if I was to go to him and say, okay, I'm ready to t- ready to do this. I have to confront my thoughts, heal my thoughts, and I can no longer blame my agents, my co- like <laughs> no one. I can't blame the media. I can't blame the fact that like there's skinny models are all around me that are forcing me to do X, Y, and Z, even though that was all of my doing a hundred percent. And I should have been taking responsibility in those moments, yet I was in constant blame and looking outward. And so I think people get scared, but I always say that it's the only way through. Mm-hmm. Like it's the only way through is going in. And um and I found that to be true for a lot of women in our community, a lot of women you and I know that are powerful entrepreneurs who have been through the darkness. It's like only until they were able to confront mm-hmm. the depths of themselves and say, mm. there's no one else I can blame. Like <laughs> I did this damage to myself yeah. and I have to heal it. And and then the piece of the puzzle was I was, I think it was the first time I was willing to forgive myself. And I think mm-hmm. that that's another part of the puzzle that so many women were not. I, I think, you know, I think there's a lot of cultural programming around like, go and be superwoman and be this badass woman and go conquer the world. And we're linear thinkers. So we're thinking, okay, let's move forward in a linear way. And I'm going to get what I want in the future. We don't realize that there's a past and the past even rep- is, is represented in how we behave towards ourselves and other people. Always, And we have to take that as a forgiveness piece of the puzzle where we look at ourselves mm. and say, how can I forgive and, and let go of what I continue to manifest over yes. and over. And you mentioned two things that I think are really important and I'd love to delve deeper. Mm-hmm. The one is to face your shadow. And mm-hmm. I am very poorly paraphrasing C.G. Young here, uh, but he said uh, he said that you need to know your shadow. You also mm-hmm. need to embrace your shadow because if you don't, it will run your life and you will call it fate. Mm-hmm. So most of us, of course, have been taught by our culture that negative emotions are horrible. Mm-hmm. So we repress them, whether it's anger, whether it's shame, whatever, just stuff it deeper down the closet, you mm-hmm. know, where it then festers and erupts and just keeps manifesting horrible yeah. negative things, yeah. which our conscious mind doesn't want, but our subconscious is constantly creating them. Mm-hmm. So what is an approach we can take, um, you know, whether it's daily practices or some other kind of support to rewire our brains in order to be okay to actually deal with this and not yeah. run with this. Yeah, that's such an amazing question. I love that quote. That's one of my husband mm-hmm. and we we always state that quote. It's one of our favorites um, because it's true. It's 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 like if we consider our fate, again, this blame experience, mm-hmm. right? Like the financial, what's happening financially, what's happening in politics, what's happening with our neighbors, our relatives, our cousin. Like we're always in constant relationship <laughs> to everyone else. And we never take the time to say, well, what's my relationship to myself, mm-hmm. right? And a lot of times that is the the emotional component as well. And so it took me a long time um, to allow myself to feel. And I think that that's the first step in the process is not being scared of your feelings and your emotions Mm. and how whatever you're experiencing. And I think one of the powerful, most powerful things I've learned is there's no right or wrong. It's the behavior that we do after the feeling that, again, there's no right or wrong from that, but, but it's the behavior that comes from the emotion that is really the repercussion of the emotion, right? And so we can look at, okay, well, if I were to just allow myself to feel, what would this feeling teach me in this moment? What would what would it offer me? What would it provide me? And then, what can I do to shift through this emotion? Um, and I don't I don't have a story anymore. I had a story for a very long time that 
an emotion was bad. Mm. And now the story is, okay, I have an emotion. So clearly there's something that needs to shift right now. And how do I make myself aware and open and curious about what this emotion is? And it's the same thing for listening to your body. So often we have a feeling or discomfort in our body and we just suppress the feeling like Advil, Tylenol, <laughs> ibuprofen. We have all these things like if you have a stomachache, go, go get Pepto-Bismol right away. And there's nothing wrong with these things that help us move through the day. But when we're doing them consistently and suppressing the cues that our bodies are giving us, we're ignoring our greater truth. And then over time, that's what causes chronic sickness is Mm. because we've been in constant state of acidity or inflammation or so forth. And so I'm, I'm a strong believer that if we can quiet the external, connect to our heart, you know, take a few deep breaths, recognize what the emotion, what the experience is trying to teach us in the moment, and then listening to our body and saying, okay, why why does my ankle hurt today? Am I going to Tylenol it and then run to the gym? No, I should actually pay attention. And and then looking for the sub, I'm a big believer in the subconscious reason bef- behind the pain, um, which is like a Louis, Louis Hay practice and so forth. But um, But I think we're so disconnected from our bodies, like just and just getting back to the yeah. very principle of of that our body is cueing us for a reason it's trying to tell us something and we're meant to be listening and that the mind and body are not separate superhumanize isn't it kind of ironic because on the one side we're separated from our bodies and not listening to them on the other side we're so fixated on them and how we look and you totally. mentioned it before you know the type of body shaming and the mind conditioning that we get through social media, culture at large. And um, you recently had a really powerful and beautiful uh, video that you posted on your Instagram. Mm. And it was, you actually addressed the viewer and said, you know, when was the first time you wished you had somebody else's body? And you talked about how in the past, when you were a young girl, you had these vision boards and the vision boards were about the perfect measurements, how you thought you'd look like. And there is a really great quote in there from you and that is happiness doesn't have a body type yeah and of course we're fighting against ourselves we're also fighting against a huge industry i mean it's it's billions of dollars are being made by Mm -hmm. people being made to feel not good enough so how can we curate the images in our mind better yeah yeah it's so interesting right because i have seen now that i'm aware of how marketers use making us feel bad about ourselves to sell something. I'm very sensitive to it now. And I get, I get like heated in the moment. And I'm like, mm. okay, regulate my nervous system. Bring, bring yourself back <laughs> into balance. Um, because you, right. It's everywhere. It's mm. all over the place where all day long we're being programmed by media, social conditioning, you know, from a very, I just saw a post the other day about a third grader was asked on a math quiz, like, what are the different sizes of women? Like, and and it was like, and like, if she were to lose, like the, it was about the child losing weight or something, but it was like a math equation. And I'm like, this is third grade. That's insane. This is, and, and it was really powerful the way that the mother and the daughter approached this. But, um, but yeah, we, I think the first thing becoming very conscious of it. And in that, in that Instagram post, I was, I was sharing that Every time you wish you had someone else's body, it's not keeping you motivated. It's actually keeping you miserable because Mm -hmm. it's keeping you in a place of disconnect from yourself. And so the moment that we can tap into the gratitude for our own body is the moment that we set ourselves free and we begin to manifest things from that place of feeling extremely grateful for this vessel, this this Mm -hmm. body that we're given that's allowing us to experience the world. And 
I'm like at the end of my life, like, am I going to look back on my life and wish that I (laughs) would have spent more time wishing I looked like that supermodel? No, I'm going to wish that I was more embodied in the presence of joy and connection and love and all of the things that we're here to experience on this planet. And so I think, um, getting very, very connected to that truth. And it's a, it's a truth that's hard to break. I totally get it. I have a lot of compassion for it, but yes, the vision boarding and the Pinterests and, you know, all day long, I have clients who, or women that will reach out to me and they'll be like, I want to look like this by my wedding. I want to look like this by my reunion. I want to look by like this celebrity by the time, you know, by next year. And I have to always bring them back to like, well, why do you want to look like this other woman? Well, it's going to give me happiness and the feeling of worthiness and the feeling of self-confidence. And then I always ask them after that, well, what if you could just feel that now? And they're like, I can't. And I'm like, but you can. It's a belief system that you're holding that you can't feel that Mm -hmm. now. And the moment that you shift that belief system to emotion and feeling can be felt in any body. Mm -hmm. And so you're making the choice to believe that happiness lives again in the linear experience in the future. But what if we just brought it back to ourselves and saying, right now in this moment, I can be happy right now in this moment. I can feel joy right now. I can feel confident. I'm making the choice not to. So I'm the only one, again, the radical responsibility that can be to be at blame for not feeling these things. Granted, it will take the, the changing of the neuroplasticity and the reprogramming and the belief systems to actually embody these beliefs on a day-to-day basis. But the moment that you start to embody the belief, it actually, you actually start to shift. So when you actually teach this to clients, what mm-hmm. are the first steps or practices um, that they would start with? Maybe something someone in our mm-hmm. audience can take with themselves and integrate into their own lives. Yeah. So it's really interesting. A lot of people start when they hire a healthcare coach or someone that they want to help with their health and well-being, they start with the food and the movement. Mm-hmm. And so they'll start to track everything that they're doing every day in terms of eating and mm-hmm. movement and maybe their sleep as well. Maybe they'll get, you know, a whoop watch or one of those things that basically track all those things, which I think are amazing. But I think it's really important to to shift that in the beginning and start with the mind. And what I mean by that is starting with your emotional experience around food, your emotional experience around movement, your emotional experience when you go to dinner with your husband or spouse or partner. Because the thing is, is if I give you a protocol and it helps you lose weight, I would hate to give you a protocol where you feel miserable the entire time doing it. So in the process of co-creating a plan with my clients, it's a co-creative process. It's never, here's a protocol, here, go do it, because everyone's life is different. Everyone's experience with their bodies are different. Everyone's stress levels, work, um, parenting stuff, like everything is different for every single person. So I personally have a belief that no one's protocol should be exactly the mm-hmm. same and it shouldn't be rigid and it shouldn't be uh, non-conformative to that person's life. And I believe that if you don't have joy and happiness in doing it, you're not going to do it. And so I always say, okay, let's start tracking the emotion. Like, how do you feel before you eat? How do you feel during, while you're eating? How do you feel after? And then we start to heal those experiences Mm -hmm. first, because again, if you feel good in your body and you feel happy and joyful and confident, and you have this deep desire for self-worth, I can say that 99% of the women that I've tracked 
the ones that are speaking truthfully about this, like if they feel those emotions, they're going to gravitate towards the healthy foods, the movement that excites them. You know, they're not going to go to a class just because their best friend went to the class, but they'd be miserable through it. They're going to stand in their power and say, I want to do something different today in terms of moving my body. They're going to talk to their boss and say, hey, I don't feel good halfway through the day. Is it cool that I take 30 minutes to meditate? Or is it okay that we implement a different sort of health or wellness protocol into this corporate lifestyle because I'm noticing my cognitive health or my clarity halfway through the day isn't the best. They're going to be empowered to make these changes or pack their food or have someone prep their food in the morning, just different things, right? Or maybe the the one that I love is there was an experience where all the colleagues were going out to dinner every single Friday night and then drinking. And like, that was the bonding experience. But then one of my clients started integrating yoga experiences into the week and now everyone's doing yoga. And so There's a lot of really cool things you can do where when you're empowered to feel good, you're going to have that courage to say, okay, I want to keep feeling good. Mm -hmm. So what are the things that I need to do to, to feel that? And I think, again, the courage and the willingness to step into that only comes from looking at how you're feeling throughout the day, where are the stories that are you're holding around those belief systems. And then when you recognize like, okay, on a Sunday night, I just ate dinner. I binged on dinner. I don't feel good after. Okay. And we've noticed three or four Sundays in a row that you're not feeling good on a Sunday night. Well, what is that story coming from? Mm-hmm. And the story might be, oh, because Monday I have to go back to work. So I'm stressing the night before, or maybe you know, Friday night, you're like, I deserve to have this meal because I stressed all week, you know? And so when you start to track how you're feeling, then you can piece together the patterning of why you're sabotaging your health and your wellness and what steps you can take to shift the beliefs in the moment. So that way you can be empowered in the next choice. Mm. And it is such a hugely important topic because if we talk about eating disorders in any way or form, I think uh, it's 30 million people afflicted Mm -hmm. with it in the United States alone. Mm -hmm. And uh, every hour or so, one person dies from one. And of course, a majority touched are women, but also many, many men Mm -hmm. are struggling with this. And to get to the root of what's behind our body issues is so important. And I love your um, how you focus on mindfulness Mm -hmm. versus diet, you know, because that's usually the very first thing that pops into mind. Like you said, it's diet. Yeah. And the one thing um, I, I love the approach of keeping track of your emotions. Um, there is often a component in us, you know, the the monkey brain, the mm-hmm. mind chatter, the mm-hmm. inner critic, yak, 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 yak. Yeah. So when that inner critic pops up, how do we quiet, <laughs> quiet him and her down? Yeah. And I, as sad as it is about the statistics, I think it's something that we, we have to be having a conversation about. And I personally believe that the missing... I call it a hacker, the missing piece of the puzzle is the mindfulness and meditation component, especially for healing, healing our healthcare system, helping women heal their relationship with food in their body, because we're seeing more and more statistically and from the research that dieting is causing the monkey brain. It's causing Mm -hmm. the irritability. Mm -hmm. It's causing the disconnect from self. It's causing the comparison. It's causing low self-esteem, low self-worth, all the things that we're trying to get away from by putting someone on a diet where we're saying there's no good food versus bad food, but we're putting them in this rigid box of like, these are the things you have to eat. And again, I think when we're disconnecting women from their own intuition and the ability to listen to their own bodies and saying, okay, here's the protocol. You have to follow this. Yeah. It's great for to get them into a place of back, to, back to a place of health, 
But then beyond that, we need to address, like you said, the monkey mind or or all the comparison and being on social media and the rabbit hole that we go down, right? Oh, <laughs> it's yeah. like, how do we do that? And so how do we do that, right? So I I think one of the biggest things that I personally have found to be really powerful in myself and with my clients is free free flow of writing. Mm -hmm. And again, I think this is something that's very, uh, it can be very terrifying at first. So if you're hearing this and your body's tensing up or you're (laughs) like getting these sort of like experiences where you're like, how could I free flow write out my thoughts and feelings? But I think it allows us to put everything on paper that's in our mind and recognize that again, our thoughts are not our reality unless we act on them. And your thoughts are just a projection of all of the things that you've learned growing up. Mm. And some people believe even past lives and ancestors can be epigenetics and how it can be transferred from, you know, many lineages of um, ancestors. And so I think, I think free flow writing has been a saving grace for me in terms of just being able to put my thoughts onto paper and then allowing myself to realize that these thoughts are not my own. They're just thoughts. They're just what's in my mind and allowing myself to actually feel lighter and clearer in the process and being like, just because they're here doesn't mean I need to act on them. And then I can actually just burn this and let it be and, and move forward in a positive way. I think meditation is also something and meditation has been so many people come to meditation because now it's being advertised as like this thing that you get more abundance and you can become financially free. Like there's all these like benefits, right. Of meditation. And it's amazing because it's brought people into the practice, but really what it's meant to do is, Mm -hmm. is to connect us to ourselves and our own intuition the place where we can make decisions from our own, um, again, our own truth. And when we can do that, then we can look, we can again, look outside and say, okay, yes, I noticed this space. Like even on social media, I'll be like, oh, I noticed myself getting triggered. I'm going to shut off my social media, close my eyes, connect to my truth. What is my truth? My truth is you have a purpose and a mission on this planet and you were gifted your body for this experience. And your body is this beautiful expression of that. And, um, and then it allows you to, again, connect to your truth. And in that space, you're quieting the noise. Mm-hmm. And it's reprogramming neural pathways mm-hmm. for compassion, um, loneliness, self-love, self-worth, all the things that indirectly impact the decisions that you're making around food in your body. Mm, they take you out of this constant fight or flight exactly. state mm-hmm. and make you less reactionary and make better decisions mm-hmm. for yourself. Yeah. And it also taught me that I get to pause. It taught me about this pause process where before I make a decision from a place of being triggered, I can actually take a moment and breathe through that moment and make a decision from what I call like the self-love or self-sabotage model where we ask ourselves in the moment, is this, am I acting from a place of self-love or am I acting from a place of self-sabotage? And when you give yourself that moment to pause, you give yourself that question and then you can actually connect to your heart and hear the truth. Most of the time we don't want 10 donuts or, you know, like <laughs> I was interviewing a girlfriend right before this and she was sharing that. She's like, yeah, most of the time we don't want the 10 donuts. It's the programming that we want the 10 donuts because then it's shifting the craving and suppressing the emotion. Um, most of the time we want to be told that we're loved or we feel worthy and that's what we can find within ourselves. Superhumanize. Yes, and I think this is a hugely important point you're making about learning to discern between the thoughts that are really our own Mm -hmm. and the thoughts that are not our own, but Mm -hmm. we kind of make our own. And to redefine what 
me or I means. And uh, there's another component to that that I find interesting that when we talk about, when I speak about me, so most of us will mean me, my body, Mm -hmm. but we don't connect it to the larger and spiritual self, which is actually our true self. And, um, you know, that that disconnection causes such a huge imbalance. And, and these tools are for free, you know, mindfulness, meditation, and, and it really helps us grow back into what I like to call our deepest truth mm-hmm. and, and act from there. And um, these topics, are they actually, are you delving deep into them into you, in your new book? Yeah, yeah. So I have found that there's a set amount of belief systems that we've taken, most women have taken on. And so I break down the belief system Mm -hmm. and then I give them the new mindset shift in the moment to basically shift their old belief into a new empowering belief that comes back to their, their truth. And the spiritual component is a huge one. I have a belief that we chose our body for the decisions and the things that, and our purpose for what we need to create on this planet. And when we can hold that truth, everything basically shifts because if we have a mission and a vision and something we want to create and we're focused on that impact, why would we want to do any damage to my body? Like I think about my life and I'm like, I love my life so much and I'm so grateful for it. Like, why would I not want to stick around? You know, like (laughs) it's just such a different mindset belief than like most people, which is like, well, I'm not going to live forever. So I might as well eat (laughs) <laughs> the junk food and you know it doesn't matter no one lives forever yeah but you don't want to spend the last 20 years of your totally life totally in chronic sickness oh. and pain and struggle and so I think it's just saying okay where are the belief where is it coming from why do we talk this way was this something that my parents used to say is this something that I heard growing up on a show to a television who knows and even if you don't know where it came from you can still connect to these stories that are that are keeping you from your truth. And so for me, I'm like, well, I want to be alive. I want to stick around. I have a lot to do on this planet. So I'm going to take very good care of this vessel that is given to me to be able to move through my life. And so it's about the simple mindset shifts that in the moment create this like massive state of awareness where you're like, oh, well, what if I just started operating from that place of empowerment again, where it's like, it's no longer in the comparison mindset. It's no longer having to ask 20 girlfriends what you should be eating or jumping from diet to diet based on what's working for them. And we come back to my body knows the truth. My body's perfectly unique the way it is. My body knows more than any doctor, any expert, any coach and and trusting in that intuition. And, and part of the intuition comes from cleaning up the food that we're eating, moving every day, removing the toxins, all of those things. Um, getting getting very clear on our on our ability to connect with what decisions we need to make and when for our highest well-being. Can you talk uh, can you let us know the title of your book so yeah. we can look out for it? Yeah, it's called Awesome Inside Out. Uh-huh. It's with Hay House and um and it definitely dives into the nutrition, the movement, um relationships and lifestyle cultural conditioning, media, and basically starts to break down all these belief systems that we've held most of our life and then gives you the upgraded version of them and then how to shift shift and start to take them on through different exercises and so forth. Wonderful. I, yeah. I for my part, really look forward to reading it. And um, all these topics that, are, that you're moving into the forefront of the yeah. uh, current discourse, the cultural conversation, 
are they're super important topics. And there's actually another really big topic that you've been, as far as I can tell here, uh, you know, you have a very loyal, significant, active social media following. Mm -hmm. And uh, within the last months, you actually spoke about your very own journey uh, with breast implant illness. Mm -hmm. This is a topic that concerns so many women yeah. and all the people that love them. This is a topic I myself have put a lot of thought into because it's something also that's in my life, not as an illness, but mm -hmm. it's there. It's a decision I once made. And I found it so inspiring and courageous for you to put yourself and the information that you've gathered out there and say, hey, this is what it is. Mm -hmm. We need to talk about that. There's, you know certain steps you can take. Mm -hmm. And I would love to hear about the journey that led you from discovering the symptoms and the root cause and through the process of fixing it. Yeah. Yeah. So the breast implant illness um, experience and, and what we're seeing online is thank God for social media. This is one thing where I'm deeply grateful because women are speaking out. It's becoming much more known that this is an, a, a serious problem. Um, before the medical community never recognized breast implant illness as a medical diagnosis, it's very hard to test for it. Or and and most doctors aren't educated around the fact that implants can actually make a woman extremely sick. Um, and so for me, what happened was I was in Tulum um, a couple years back and started to develop extreme heart palpitations. And I was very terrified at the moment because, you know, I was in my thirties. I'm like, this is not something that a 30 year old should be having. And the heart palpitations continued to get worse. When I got home, I started to go to various doctors and I had different symptoms popping up. So I had joint pain in my arms. My fingers were tingling, pain under my armpits, um, chronic neck pain, back pain, like all these different bizarre symptoms, but nothing that was concrete or evident around them all being linked together. And so then as, as the symptoms got worse, I developed um, rashes and chronic fatigue and um, memory loss. And, um, and, and just, I remember thinking to myself, like, this is so sad to say, but I'm like, I think I'm dying. Like, I think there's something going on that I can't explain. Doctors can't explain. Medical tests can't explain. But I know intuitively, like, this isn't right. Mm -hmm. And my desire to thrive was gone. Like, my desire to build my business, I shut my business down. I couldn't, for, for several months, I was just like, I'll take on a couple clients and that's it. Like, I couldn't get my focus and my motivation back. And I'm like, what's, what, what is this? And then I'm trying to remember the first post, but I, Hugh Hefner's um, ex-wife was, she started sharing her story about breast implant illness. And even while seeing her story and seeing other women start to share their story, I, I was like, can't be my implants, mm -hmm. you know, like for someone who is so deeply connected to themselves that I thought, right. I'm like, this is what I teach all day long, self-love, self-worth. And I remember my ego got in the way and literally was like, <laughs> this can't be it. And then I started to hear another story and another story. And then my symptoms got so bad that finally, when I came back from India, I had the strong intuition while I was there that it was hundred percent my implants. And when I got back, luckily the synchronicity of meeting a doctor who said, we can keep treating your symptoms and mitigating them to some extent, but you're not fixing the root cause. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that was my biggest lesson was like, 
I was taking so many supplements. I was doing so much to mitigate the the impact of my implants on my body, but yet not dealing with the root cause because I wasn't willing to step into that courage. And I see that with so many women, right? Where we know what the root cause is. Maybe it's mercury fillings. Maybe it's implants. Maybe it's your IUD. Maybe it's the fact that you work in a hair salon and you're on around toxic chemicals all day long. I've heard that one where a woman quit her job because she intuitively knew that was making her sick. And so sometimes we know the truth and yet we're scared to step into the courage to make the shift. Mm-hmm. And for me, it took it took a bit of time. And finally, I just said, I, I, my health is more important. And I pulled out all the tools in my toolbox kit. I did rituals and ceremony around letting my implants go. I worked with a lot of different healers and uh, therapists and coaches and so forth. And, and I, I remember thinking like, this is, this is a massive lesson for me and something I need to share because what if there's a woman out there with implants that doesn't know why she's sick right now? Um, because the medical community isn't addressing this or or not yet. And now there are definitely different doctors and so forth confronting this topic, but it's still it's still not being addressed like it should be. And for me, I got my implants when I was in the modeling industry, you know, and I sold my car. I didn't even think twice. I didn't know the repercussions of it financially, emotionally, spiritually. And I I wish that someone would have said to me, yes, go get your implants. It's your choice, but here are the potential repercussions. And that's my goal now speaking about it. It's just like, I I don't ever tell anyone not to do it, but I want them to know if they start to get sick, the implants could be what's causing it so they can take action faster than if they hadn't known. Mm. And the number one thing is to really open up this conversation broadly, mm-hmm. You know, whether it's social media, whether it's news media, and most importantly, between loved ones and families yeah. where it's not a taboo topic. I feel here in the U.S. people are uh, slightly more open to it than, let's say, in, in my uh, birth country, Germany, where something like that is still like, shh, shh. you know, mm. even when you do it, you don't talk about it and like shame on it, and yeah. it which is ridiculous, you know. Um, but again, different cultures de- deal with things differently. I'm all for uh, talking openly about it, and especially when you had an experience like yourself and you have healed from it. So for a woman who's going through this, what are the steps that she would take? First of all, of course, she has to find the right practitioner. Mm -hmm. Are there things before an explant that she potentially, of course, talking to her doctor may want to choose to Mm -hmm. do certain supplements, detoxes, preparation? Yeah, of course. I think getting a very uh, knowledgeable, functional or integrative doctor who is versed in this conversation or at least has um, has witnessed it or has experienced it in the sense of with their clients and knows the right detox protocol to go about healing before and after. I mean, at least building up the immune system as much as you can before mm-hmm. you go into surgery, of course, and then also knowing how to get everything out after. So for me specifically, I got my explant, but I did a pathology report that I had my doctor do. And so not only was my implants breaking, they were breaking down in my body. There was also a biofilm surrounding the implant. So the biofilm was causing the inflammation and then also my body was breaking them down. So there was a two part process where I had to like work on this detox, different detox pathways to be able to get all of this out of my system, building my immune system, 
um, strengthening my gut and my gut lining and, and doing a lot of different things that really supported my healing journey. Um, but I can say within several weeks, I was, I was feeling a tremendous difference, like overnight. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then within a year, most of my like heavy metals had subsided and all of the things that were showing in, um, in the testing at that point, um, had basically most of them, I would say I'm about 90% there now. That's fantastic. Yeah. And and you hear a lot of women who undergo, who choose to undergo this procedure with the explants and just cleaning up their body, so to speak, mm-hmm. that they have pretty miraculous effects. Some within days, brain fog is gone, inflammation goes down, or within weeks, they get their lives back. Yeah. And especially after having been so scared, thinking like what you said, literally, you thought you were dying. Mm-hmm. I mean, what a horrific experience. In the context of social media, we have to be super careful that we're, again, not in the comparison model because I remember I was very conscious to say, okay, well, yes, within weeks, I got better. Um, and I could noticeably see signs. Other women, it takes two, three, four months. I mean, mm-hmm. this is your body and and different people are at different experience different Mm -hmm. experiences in terms of how the implants impacted them, the different types of implants, what's actually happening, how strong your gut lining is, how strong your immune system is. Um, And so I'm always very careful to just remind people that everyone is going to have a different healing journey and everyone's going to have a different experience. And we, again, it's coming back to trusting your own body and connecting to your doctor and saying, okay, this is what's happening for me. And if, if the protocol that you're given doesn't resonate or feel right, getting multiple opinions, doing your research, looking at different strategies for healing, things like that. I just think we have to be super careful where I see a lot of like copy and paste or it's like, you know, it's like, well, this person did this. So all of a sudden I have to drop everything and do this as well. And that's great. I'm super, I'm super excited that we're sharing functional and integrative medicine and, you know, but I think we have to be conscious and do it from a place of, um, mindfulness and really connecting to ourselves and saying like, I probably shouldn't be on three different detox protocols right now. I probably (laughs) should be mindful and not panic in this moment and trust that my body's going to detox in the way that it should. Um, Because I do see a lot of women be like, I have to do everything at once. And I think it's really important to have that relationship with your doctor where you're in constant communication about how your body's responding and so forth. Yes. And finding the, the right doctor, of course, is so important too. And like you said, most doctors, unfortunately, not yet are mm-hmm. equipped to deal with that. So I'm a big advocate of being a squeaky wheel, be the squeaky wheel and be annoying as hell until you find the person that's right. the right one for you. And don't just accept an opinion. Yeah. If you feel your bones, you feel it's not right. Just keep searching. Mm-hmm. Superhumanize. You do so many things. You're a health and wellness activist and advocate. Of course, you're also a health and wellness entrepreneur. You are a speaker. And like I mentioned before, you consult with big international wellness companies. You help your private clients. So being a successful entrepreneur, you've built all of this yourself. Um, it's it's massive what you do. You travel the world speaking as well. So um, what are the most important habits that you found for yourself Mm. to being a productive entrepreneur, especially if you have such a full plate? Yeah. Yeah. That's such a, such a great question. I think, you know, what's so, what's so interesting is I go to these entrepreneur conferences and I look around, I just recently put a post about this. And what I find so often is like, 
I'll go to these conferences. And what's so interesting is that at the conference, we're talking about the new AI technology that's going to shift healthcare. We're talking about, um, we're talking about the newest equipment that's going to allow robots to give cert, you know, to do surgery. And mm. there's all of this talk about like how we're going to shift the model of, of well-being for future generations and so forth, and how all of this advanced technology is going to be so powerful. But yet, then we walk out of these rooms where we're with, you know, with some of the smartest people in the world having these conversations, and there's like donuts and pizza and beer <laughs> and like, and it's just like spread across the room and. <laughs> I'm not speaking from a place of judgment because it's like, it's almost compassion and love yeah. where I'm like, we're advancing so quickly, but we're forgetting the principles of what is most important. And when we look at the science and we look at the research, the things that keep us healthy are the most simple things. They're the sleep, they're hydration, they're the, the clean food and organic and making sure that your food is sourced from, from places where they're not, you know, marketing false, <laughs> false advertisement <laughs> and slipping things in here and there, um, making sure you're eating clean meats and the right protein and, and, and so forth. And so I think it's coming back to, we know what works at the end of the day. Like most of us know we should be sleeping. We should be mindful in our approach and meditating. We should be, um, eating clean food and hydrating and being around empowering people and connection and, from a place of love and so forth and decreasing our stress. And yet those are the things that we're neglecting the most because we're in the search for the newest technology for the quick fix that's going to save us. And so I think it comes back to, yes, it's so powerful to see all these things, but also let's let's get back to the basics. And, and if you're out of alignment with those specific, I wouldn't say they're easy because we're not programmed to to be doing them or program to run and rush and so forth. But I'd say if we're missing out on the habits that are the basics mm -hmm. of what actually creates uh, sustainable health, I would revisit those first and foremost. For me, one of the big ones was just sleep. It took me a very, very long time to get on a really systematic sleep schedule where I was getting seven and a half to eight hours a night because I'm just a night owl and I love to be up all night. But I realized if I could force myself to go to bed 9.30 or 10 and get up by six, my entire experience with energy and vitality shifted. And so that's a really simple thing, but yet so overlooked when we're in the focus of 30 more minutes, 30 more minutes, 30 more you know, 30 more minutes of work. And then at the end of the night, you're like, oh, why is it 1 a.m.? And I'm exhausted and the next day I can barely get out of bed. Um, so those are the things that I think looking at the, the staple habits, um, and I wish I had like a, you know, do this hack and it's going <laughs> to, you know, fix you tomorrow. Um, but that's just not what I teach. I'm like, why are you not doing the simple things is, is what I, you know, mm. want to address more so than the, than the, like, what's the quick fix hack that's going to save me at the end of the day. Excellent. And so, so profound and so true. And, and, uh, oh my God, I wish I could follow that advice that I give myself also every day, go to bed early, <laughs> get <laughs> off hard, that right? <laughs> So hard. <laughs> and, you know, regarding, I spoke a little bit about your social media following. You have really built a great social media following and, and they're very adoring. And, um, you know, also you write for a lot of big publications and your work is impacting a lot of people globally, um, you know, how can you powerfully engage with your mm -hmm. audience for people who are building their brands or, you know, their audiences right now? 
Yeah. So I just went to a conference and, um, and we were having this conversation with different entrepreneurs about where we kind of are with social media and, and sharing and so forth. And I think most people and what I found even in the entrepreneur space is they're very terrified to share their experiences. Mm -hmm. They're they're terrified to storytell. They're terrified to let people into their lives. And I, um, given the fact that I'm married to a copywriter who preaches storytelling all day, I had to get over this one very quickly, but I think that that's what has shifted my business so much and, and shifted my online presence is that I just got very comfortable with being able to tell my stories Mm -hmm. and be vulnerable with my Mm -hmm. truth. And sometimes people be like, well, two weeks ago you said this. And I'm like, yep, that's who I was two weeks ago. And now I'm a different person. And I'm uh, I'm just sharing with you as I change and progress as a human as well. And so if you're part of the journey with me, please be compassionate and loving to my growth process as well. And I'm not scared that I'm gonna like backtrack on something I said, or I'm not terrified that you know, this podcast might be a little different version than the next. I'm just like speaking from my place of truth and authenticity as much as I can from the deepest core of where I am and trusting that whoever lands, it resonates. And, you know, if it doesn't, that's okay too, but just trusting that the right people that need to hear Mm -hmm. the message will. Um, And I think if we all were able to be transparent online, the world would shift very, very quickly because I think the, the the comparison model is real. I think the fact that, you know, Gary Vee is addressing this where people are, the, the self-esteem of young kids are definitely being impacted by social media. And I just want to reach them. I want to reach young girls and just say, it's okay, you were bullied. I was bullied too. And this is what happened to me and it was traumatic and I'm not going to push it under the rug anymore. And I'm going to share my experience and allow you to witness what I went through. So maybe you don't have to, or maybe you could be the girl that is bullying that now shifts and is no longer bullying because you heard my story of how it impacted me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think only through being very honest and sharing is is the way to shift this world at this time versus presenting an illusion of, of mm. what isn't and, accurate. Yeah. And take the risk and be vulnerable, mm-hmm. you know, because the results are are priceless, priceless. How you can help yourself grow and help others grow mm-hmm. and I think also this this need or this want, which is actually not our thoughts, but mm-hmm. other thoughts to always want to be perfect. It keeps us stunted. It keeps us from being our creative true selves. Yeah. And you spoke about it briefly. So your husband, who is a brilliant copywriter, uh, Craig Clements from Golden Hippo, I mean, an absolute mastermind. And, and I know you are the kind of couple also you have an adoring relationship. You look at each other in the eyes on eye level, support each other, grow with each other, learn from each other. So, uh, and I know you, your copy comes from yourself. What are, if somebody's just starting out and they're like, I get, I get right my own copy. Oh my God. It's so daunting. They're so stressed. But what is the, what are the secrets of writing good copy? Mm -hmm. Essentially being a good storyteller. Yeah. So one of the things that I did a lot while writing my copy was I interviewed a lot of women mm-hmm. and I just wanted to learn, you know, I wanted to learn where they were in their lives. I, I put up some posts where I, um, I was like, I just want to talk to any woman who's ever had a eating disorder that's healed their eating disorder. I want to learn from you. I want to learn what you did. And I was getting women from all over the world that just wanted to Skype with me, which was so beautiful. So I got to connect and learn about their stories. And as I was 
taking notes and so forth, it was like, okay, this is what women want to hear. This is their pain. This is where they're coming from. This is how I can connect to them by placing my story in the conversation around what they're looking for and what they're, what they've healed and what they've moved through. Um, and then women who were just struggling with their body, I'm like, I want to speak to you. I want to know why is it that you're struggling? Where is the disconnect happening from? Is it cultural conditioning? Is it media? Where is the low self-esteem coming in and so forth? And that's where I found out that it, a lot of it is coming from bullying or how they grew up in high school or so forth, which is the main point in your life where you develop friendship, mm-hmm. right? And you you create stories about whether you're worthy of friendship and other women being in your life and so forth. And so I started recognizing where where the disconnect was happening from. And then I reverse engineer it where now I'm right now working on a narrative piece about bullying, where I'm going to present the story where at the end, the girl is much more empowered because she thinks people are bullying her, but really they're, they're there to empower her. And so we're creating these sort of narrative videos and, and monologues in the back end because of the research that I've done. Craig, for example, we, if he's researching a new brand, he'll go out and he'll interview people on the street. Like Mm -hmm. we were at Glossier the other day and he was in line interviewing all the young girls because he was talking about creating a makeup brand. So it's, it's, it's something where I think you, you think, you know, a lot of times we think that our version is going to be the best because it's coming from us and it's on paper. But I think you really have to research by meeting actual humans and learning and understanding the psychology of what's happening in their minds. Um, I also think meeting them at their pain point is always a great place as well. I think that's a a very common copywriting um, practice, but just again, storytelling and letting them know that whether their story was the same or similar or different, you've been in that place where you Mm. have struggled and it's been hard and challenging. And even if you don't have that deep, dark story. That doesn't mean you have to make one up, but you can, you can still say, Hey, if you're struggling with this, I have the solution here. You know, you can still meet them in their pain, even if you haven't been through that hero's journey and and so forth. But, um, but I, I love copywriting. I love writing. I love, I love it. I hated it for a very long time. <laughs> um, but I definitely have grown to grown to love it because I've seen the impact. And I think we have a responsibility um, as copywriters, as marketers to be as authentic and truthful as possible in that approach. Cause I think a lot of people aren't doing that. So also can you incorporate your truth and your brand in a way that's uplifting and positive? And what we're seeing now is when you, when we're split testing things, positivity always wins. People actually want positivity right now. And which is beautiful. You know, mm-hmm. you don't have to be dark to start we can actually be positive and uplifting and that's that's what people want thank goodness we certainly have enough darkness <laughs> out there let's just keep shedding the light right? yeah it's so great though like now we're see- it's like it's converting so it's like it's it's like why would we ever you know not that not that we were marketing from that place of darkness uh-huh. but but it's like we're seeing that just having the whole video be about positivity and yes. all the things that could be created and manifested and and so forth is is really what's works. So and people cute. resonate with it. I think it also has to do with a huge shift we're experiencing globally now. Mm-hmm. You know, where people are just open for, to positivity, open to helping each other. It's it's uh it's wonderful, and I hope it it, it signifies that the pendulum is swinging yes. the other way again, yes. and that we're witnessing the beginning of mm-hmm. that. And You know, talking about people awakening and, uh, you know, making a shift, uh, a lot of them are incorporating 
new rituals, new habits, mm-hmm. new practices. And this is actually a question I, I like to uh, cap most of the beautiful conversations I have yeah. with uh, my guests. And um, the question is, what are the practices that actually have had the most profound mm. effect on you spiritually, mm-hmm. mentally, physically uh, in your life? Yeah. So one of the practices I love and I teach is, and I, and I apologize. I don't know who to credit this to because I can't remember who taught it to me. But, um, but I start the day with a gratitude meditation and I end the day with a forgiveness meditation. Mm-hmm. And what that does is that it starts my day with being grateful and trusting that my day is going to be a beautiful experience of synchronicity and positivity and joy. And so I'm setting my day up to be as positive as possible. And of course, there will be moments where I'm challenged and frustrated or triggered or so forth. But starting my day that way has has really shifted my experience and how I experience the day um, since I started it. And then at the end of the day, and this was a practice that was really helpful, especially during my shift with disordered eating and and moments where I would would binge or overeat or behave in ways that weren't ideal for my highest well-being. So at the end of the day, I just move through a forgiveness meditation where I'm forgiving myself for anything that wasn't for my highest good, wasn't for the highest good of others, the community, the planet, and so forth. And I close my day with that because then it doesn't carry on to my next day. And I can really, really say, okay, I did my best. I've done the best that I could. And then it allows myself to forgive, but then learn. And in that moment, it's like, okay, well, because I had to take the time to stop and really think about it, tomorrow I'm going to be more conscious in my approach and I will be less likely to do it again or less likely to behave in a way that isn't for my highest good. And um, and then another practice that I have really implemented that has been really, really positive is the best time to shift a mistake or something that you don't that isn't for your highest good is before you make it. So remember we were talking about, you know, stepping away, pausing, doing some deep breaths. So if I'm triggered or reacting in a way that, that doesn't serve me, um, I have a space in my home that I set up. It's like a sacred, like a sacred space. And I'll just go and I'll sit in it for a few minutes and I'll allow myself to come back into balance. And then I'll allow myself Mm -hmm. to make a decision from Mm -hmm. that space. I think we have to create a space. Otherwise, you can be triggered by anything. You can be triggered by opening the refrigerator. You can be triggered by, because your mind has witnessed something triggering in many different places in your home or many different, um, even driving down the same street, like you could have gotten in a fight on the phone in your car and that could have triggered you. So I've created this like really beautiful sacred space where I'm like in that space, it's where I regulate my nervous system, where I come back to my truth, where I'm calm. Um, and I believe that space takes on energy. And so when you go back, your nervous system remembers that that is the space where you come back to yourself. And so that's something else that I've created that has been really, really powerful. I keep fresh flowers, candles there, and um, and my favorite books and things that I really enjoy. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing these yes. um, beautiful practices. Thank you for an inspiring and insightful conversation, Sarah. It was really a pleasure to be with you. Yeah, thank you so much. It's such a beautiful conversation. I'm so, so grateful to be here. And um, if anyone has any questions on any of the content we discussed, please, please, please reach out because I am so here to support and help any way that I can. And the best way to find you is? Yeah, the best way to find me is on Instagram, probably at sarahannstewart.com. Um, and if you DM me there, I will get back to you. So definitely reach out there. Um, and my website is sarahannstewart.com. Excellent. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. Superhumanize. Accelerated evolution. 